Welcome to The Twelfth Story, a podcast of Cincinnati's Mercantile Library. For more information about the Mercantile Library, please visit our website, mercantilelibrary.com. My name is Abby Moran, and I'm joined here today by Joanne Warren, Carolyn Nightingale, Hello. and Hello. Cynthia Cole. Good afternoon. We're going to discuss two books written by Nancy Horan today. Nancy Horan will be joining us at the library for the Modern Novel Lecture on September 29th. Tickets are available on the Mercantile Library's website. Before we go any further, I want to encourage our listeners to stop now if they haven't read the books and would like to, because there will be lots of spoilers in this edition of The Twelfth Story. Today we're going to be talking about two novels, Loving Frank, Nancy Horan's first novel, which covers the relationship between Mema Cheney and Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect. And uh, we were also going to discuss her second novel, uh, Under the Wide and Starry Sky, which covers the marriage of Fanny Vandegrift Osborne and Robert Louis Stevenson, the Scottish writer. Both novels are historical fiction, and Haran drew on years of research and uh, wove together little-known facts and letters, correspondence, memories, journals, all sorts of things to, to give us a vivid story about these, these relationships. So I guess uh, I'd like to start, ladies, with um, just a little, um, now that you've read both books, what are your, what are your feelings about, um, about how the novels relate to one another, and what are your, what are your first reactions? Well, I think that the novels are very different and there's a lot more um, emotional events in Loving Frank than there are in the story about the poets. Um, that fabulous scene at, at the end is really w worth reading the book, but, but there is no such scene in the book about Stevenson, Under the Wide and Starry Sky. I also think, I don't know if you want, how many things you want me to say, but I, I do feel that Under the Wide and Starry Sky need, needed more of an editor. I think towards the end I thought, well, why are we bringing all this extra stuff in? Where is the story? Because Loving Frank has that natural conclusion yes. of the very dramatic yes. event. And we warned you about spoilers, so <laughs> forgive a, me. But, but don't the, tell them, you know, but it's really something. Well... Yeah, the giant climactic incident at the end of Taliesin, which is based, you know, on, mm -hmm. in true life, kind of puts a puts a true life end to their relationship. Where under the wide and starry sky, you know, covers a relationship that just had a more na natural conclusion and That's a much true. longer span. That's true. It is a longer span. But going back, I think to your question, yes. Abby, if I do uh, remember yeah. it, well, I think that the the thing that kind of pulls them together is Nancy Horan. And although she said she doesn't like to read biographies because they reflect the bias of the author, I think the bias is pretty apparent. To, well, her perspective mm -hmm. is pretty apparent in both. Mm -hmm. I mean, because we are looking at, right, Joanne, we're looking at two, uh, uh, in each case, the relationships uh, between mm -hmm. a, a very intense relationship mm -hmm. between a man and a woman. And the perspective is from the sort of unknown woman, mm -hmm. you know? And you really get a sense of her 
a desire to explain the woman, explain her point of view, try to say, give her a motive for why she did what she did in each, in each book, don't you think? Yes, mm -hmm. I do. Absolutely. And, and not oh, that each woman well is an angel, because neither of them is an angel, mm -hmm. nor are the men, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I felt that in reading both books uh, within a couple weeks of each other, that she was more sympathetic in the voice uh, of um, Mamie in the first book, that I oh. felt that she became more sympathetic to um, Stevenson as the uh, second book under Wine Sorry Sky goes on, that I think you, you, he becomes a bigger character in that book than I think Frank Lloyd Wright really was in the first book. I think the, mm. that uh, Loving Frank is really, the protagonist is the woman. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in the second book, the protagonists are almost equal. Uh, even though I think it started out to have uh, Fanny be the protagonist, it, she's not as likable in, in some regards. And so I think, and Stevenson is, so I think that really comes through in the book, at least it has for me. You could use the, but these women are living with artists. These are men artists and women amanuensis, whatever the plural of that is. And it just seems that in the case of Stevenson, as you say, it seems more equal. But she has a mad scene. We have a mad scene in here that a man does, but. He's not one of the chief characters. But um, in Under the Wide and Starry Sky, um, I don't know how to say it. She's, she moves a lot. She moves a lot. She's, she's, she's worn down. I've never seen anybody with that energy and that much energy to devote to a project. You wonder if she'll ever stop caring. And she doesn't, but she does break mm -hmm. well <laughs> going back to you Cynthia mm -hmm. and, and your perspective on Frank I don't know if I have the same perspective that mm -hmm. you do because um, I think Frank Lloyd Wright is a more aloof character in a way mm -hmm. he's a showman mm -hmm. he likes to be heard but on the other hand our friend uh, Robert Louis Stevenson mm -hmm. is more involved in relationships with people He's more giving of himself than, mm -hmm. than Frank Lloyd Wright really is. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I absolutely agree yeah. with that. And I think that's why he comes through as a bigger part of the book than, um, uh, than Frank Lloyd Wright does. It, I think the yeah. distance is really an important factor, the yeah. emotional distance of Frank Lloyd Wright's personality. And, and also that I really felt that the... Um, Loving Frank was really from her perspective, so totally where I really did feel that the second book, it, you kind of got more of his a sense of him than you did. I didn't walk away with a real sense of Frank Lloyd Wright mm -hmm. as a person, not really, in the same way that you get a real feel for Stevenson's personality, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, and Stevenson left behind such a volume of letters and mm -hmm. writings yeah. and everything. It probably was easier for her as a researcher to even get his, mm -hmm. his thoughts and his voice and his mm -hmm. perspective, whereas Frank Lloyd Wright um, you know, has obviously left behind a huge volume of creative work, but also sort of a checkered 
personal history and and if you're trying to get into his relationship with Mema, it might uh, be best to kind of leave some of those those true facts to the side, you know, about some of the other relationships he had and and um, and also some of the, like, the more questionable aspects of his temperament. You know, you want she's trying to get inside, you know, how he could have been lovable enough to Mema and how, how Mema could have been so swept away that she would leave her children and leave her family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she has to, she wants us to understand, I think. Mm -hmm. The author wants us to understand why this relationship came together. What do you think of the title, Loving Frank? Oh, I think it's a good title. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, throughout the book, Joanne, you know, throughout the book, there are explanations sort of thrown out by Nancy Horan, the author, as to why she is in love with him, why she's so entranced with him. You know, I think she told her friend Natty, um, he makes me better than I am or something like that. But she's always hunting these rationales as to why she left her very good husband and her children and ran off with Frank Lloyd Wright. And so, you know, there are these deep soul-searching um, rationale and explanations <laughs> as to why that happened. We should bring in the times. These women were attaching themselves to great men so that they could be also great by helping. We were amanuensis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Although neither yeah. of the men were great yet. They, mm -hmm. I think both these mm -hmm. women saw greatness in them, but they weren't, Robert Louis Stevenson absolutely was not no. known in the way that we all know him today when they first met. Mm -hmm. And Frank Lloyd Wright was early on in his career and yeah. had not done the breakthrough work that people know him for today. Um, but I do think your point about both women wanting to be great mm -hmm. and wanting the opportunity that was really closed off to them to have their own uh, artistic yes. expression. Yeah, Fanny was a writer too. Mm -hmm. And there were many accomplishments behind Mema before she even came to Frank. Mm -hmm. I thought uh, one theme that ran between the two books that I found really interesting was um, sort of the demands on women that took away from time oh. for creative efforts. I mean, basically, oh. Robert Louis Stevenson and Frank Lloyd Wright are removed from all household duties. They have no domestic responsibilities to tie them down, and they are free to just create. And then the other, the other theme um, of the changing role of women was just the divorce laws and all the property rights and the things that these women had to go through to try to end, you know, marriages were just it was, that was really startling to me. And I think that uh, historical fiction offers a really great way into some of those historical facts because you really empathize with the with the characters and and uh, it becomes all more all the more real. Going back to what you said about demands, you feel like, I guess, Abby, you feel like demands were made on the, these two women. Oh, I think. By both. the men. Or do you think the circumstances just created a demand? Both. Because uh, <laughs> I, I think yeah. they both, Fanny children. Sp spends a lot of time uh -huh. cooking and cleaning and caring for him. And Mema, too, at Taliesin, when they're working on that construction project, she's cooking for the construction crew. and. Yeah. I think one of the biggest demands that Frank made of, of uh, Mema 
I forget her real name. But at any rate, Martha. Nina. What is it? Martha. Martha. Well, she's definitely not a Martha. Well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, was when he demanded that she go to Germany with him. I mean, you know, she, he really put her on the spot. You know, you've got to leave your, your kids. This is it. We're going to go. You know, you coming with me? I wonder if that's the historical fact or if that was Haran's attempt to help us understand why Mema would leave her children. Yes, I think that throughout the book, that was a hard thing for the author to get her arms around. And it's hard for anybody in you know, everyday life to get their arms around why she would leave what appeared to be a nice life, a good home, and, and lovely children, and, and go off with the biggest, one of the biggest egos in Chicago. Right, and it's not like they had FaceTime or Skype to stay in touch. <laughs> you know, these children were no. really cut off yeah. from their mother. Yeah. 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 He could not live without this woman beside him. In this book, there's another, there's another wife that does the same thing, goes to Japan with him. Tell us which book that is, Joanne. Oh, oh it does in Loving Frank, too. The book. Women. It's by T. Corrigesson okay. Boyle. And the wife is, let's see, Nama was the first after the first. <laughs> the and this one's name, uh, I've just read all this, but I can't remember. Svetlana was the third. Yes, Svetlana was a so there, And then there was one for about four she, years before She had that. a name, Miriam, but she doesn't seem like a Miriam at all. And this book really focuses on the madness of Miriam. But How, she went to Japan with him. Mm -hmm. How many oh. women was Frank Lloyd Wright married to in total? Married. Married three. is one, isn't it? No, three. Married? He never married yes, married. Mama. Catherine divorced him? Yes. And, oh, that's right. She did. She did, 1922. Yeah. So he, was, he was married to Catherine, and then he spent years with Mema, but wasn't married to her. Correct. And then what happened after Mema's death? Not long after that, he, this woman contacted her, the other woman. I'm sorry, I've got to get her name. Her name was Miriam. Okay. But um, she was a real operator. And she found him and got herself into the great man. Ah, uh, the big hook. <laughs> yes. Oh, it, it's worth this book, the story of them. The scenes in here, it should be a movie. Okay. Of that woman. Well, maybe and that would be a good question for Nancy Horan. Yes. On the 29th, are either of her books, have either of them been optioned for movies? I think That's I would love to see question. a movie of either one of these. Yes, yeah, I, I would agree. Too. Who would you cast? Do you have any strong oh, opinions? That's a really good Name question. Name is Meryl Streep. Oh. But then Meryl Streep could be anybody. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. She could be any age. <laughs> I know. Mama, um. or, uh, Meryl Streep could play, probably play Fanny, Mama. Yeah. Who else? Frank, Frank and Frank. Robert. <laughs> <laughs> I think we draw the line at Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah. Yes, but probably so. <laughs> Johnny Depp could do Robert Louis Stevenson, Ooh, though. I have a question. Um, do you think that Nancy spent much time reading about Ellen Keys? That yes, that I early think she did. She did yes, because I, I thought some of her stuff was really interesting, yes. and she was really contradictory too. Yes, mm -hmm. you know. she was part of what was going on. She was we're yeah. trying to get it right. Had yeah. you ever heard of Ellen Key before you read no. this? No, did you? That's Neither right. I had I know. Yeah, I I thought that was interesting. Do you think it's because she's not an American and we are more familiar with the American feminists than, um, where was she from, Sweden? 
I think it might be because of what you mentioned earlier, her inconsistencies and the, that, that turn she made towards embracing motherhood as, mm-hmm. the, as the ultimate. I mean, she really, it seemed really in contrast to her previous statements. So I, mm-hmm. won- I wondered if maybe that affected her legacy, but it is a reminder that um, <laughs> history and uh, academia kind of pluck certain people to move forward right and yeah. other people who might, may have been made major in their time just are Fade left away. behind yep yeah but motherhood is our true power and ellen saw that but how did she fit it into her other program well that's uh, that was her contradiction mm-hmm. i think she disapproved of mamas leaving her kids. That was apparent. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, um, you know, the, the relationship kind of went back and forth anyway in terms of uh, Ellen giving her the, the, the job of translating her book and then giving it to another man and not telling Mama that she had done that. So that, so she's kind of a flaky person then in her own right. we're looking at some of the bad traits in women. <laughs> I, I wondered if Nancy Horan had visited uh, Ellen Key's house in her home in Sweden because the descriptions of that lakeside villa or yes. whatever that, that Ellen Key was living in, or they were, the descriptions were so vivid and um, kind of unusual. I, I'm forgetting right now, but there were some yeah. specific details about the home that really stood out. And I, I wondered if maybe she had gotten to take a little trip over yes. to, to Germany Let's and Sweden. Let's ask her Sweden. that. Yes. We, yeah, oh, it's we, a good thing we'll have to so ask many her. questions yeah. for her. <laughs> I bet she did, because in the afterword to the other book, she talks about have, going to Europe and visiting where uh, Robert Louis Stevenson and Fanny lived, you know? So maybe she, maybe she did the same thing well, for Well, she took seven years to write the other it, one. didn't she? Oh, a long time, yeah. Oh, the I looked up the little, the place near Fontainebleau where they were, where she met him. And it's really a beautiful, charming little town. Yes, I've been there. You Have where you? Fanny yes. and Robert yes. Stevenson met? Yes. What was it like, Joanne? It was an old royal hunting pal- a palace and ground. And the, the town that's, that's around that, there's this pretty little river and all these little bridges and these stone, old stone buildings. And it, it really, it, it, when you see the pictures, you just want to say, oh, I'd love to stroll through that town. So you can imagine that they might have perceived it to be pretty idyllic. Wonderful well, place to fall in love. Speaking of the French Revolution. And we weren't. <laughs> and we weren't, but let's do. Clever no, segue. <laughs> I, I, I can't help, you know, when I was thinking of you, Abby, talking about making a movie. I think that the, the latter scenes, when they're, when they're in Taliesin, Frank and Nima, and the reporters are outside. Can't you just visualize this on the screen? And then they agree that that they can come in and they're going to talk to them and explain their lives and everything is going to be happy and hunky-dory after that. Well, and it didn't go that way because Frank didn't stick to the script. But what he said was like unbelievable, you know, uh, not unbelievable, but kind of shocking to Mamum, you know. My, my buildings are my children, forgetting all the kids he had back in Oak Park. It's all over the place. And then um, I'm, I'm better than the average man. And so what I do has more truth to it. <laughs> it's wonderful stuff. Can you imagine that? And, but it also makes me think that, that 
Nancy, our beloved author here, mm -hmm. um, in both books, Through the Eyes of the Two Women, exposes the frailties down to the bone of each of the men. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because with that particular example, the news conference at Taliesin, yes. You know that they have the journalistic record of what he said, very oh, close yeah. to the, you know, to, under the true word. But what she had to imagine was the scene between the two of them before and and the scene after. Yeah. You yeah. know, and good point. It's yeah. a, it's without, you know, giving too much away about our, our own lives. I'm sure we've all had moments where we've had significant others say things that kind of that we find excruciating, you know, and then you have to deal with it after the after the party. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting to imagine what the dynamic was like between Mayma and Frank Lloyd Wright mm -hmm. at that point. You yeah. know, what was that conversation like? Did Nancy Horan get it right? Or was it more explosive or calmer? You know, was she more deferential? You know, we really, really don't know exactly what that was, but I, I found it interesting just Mm -hmm. to, to travel with her into their household. You think about how much Mema gave up yes. for Frank Lloyd Wright. And then when he oh. is kind of oh. treating, not kind of, when he is just treating her poorly mm. or saying things like that uh, to the reporters, it, you know, you feel that pain along with her. Mm. Yeah, she, I think she really got the raw end of that deal um, externally in the, you know, the both close-in community and the broader community that it, it, he was able to sort of escape the the condemnation and it all rained down on her. And um, I guess he was enough of a star at that point that people cared about her running off with him and it, that it became such a big deal. Uh, it actually surprised me a little bit. Well, divorce was a you know, oh, horrifying social thing back then. So yeah. that's partly it. And then the press is, you know, it's sold a lot of papers. So yeah, I just handled differently if it happened today. Oh, oh I think it'd be a one-day wonder today. Well, yes and no. The tabs would get a hold of it because he had so many kids with Catherine, his wife, and she was really playing the role of the upright mm -hmm. <laughs> <She> <laughs> wife. That um, it would last more than a day. Well, I but guess it would, maybe Nancy I don't know if we have a celebrity <laughs> architect who would rise to that level. But you know, there's been the the Ben Affleck, um, Jennifer Garner. You probably all don't read the the low down, dirty People magazines and things. You like mean that, that good literature? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call it. <laughs> We're going to go get some good literature. Good stuff. <laughs> you know that I think that people have um, you know just dug through all the details. Mm -hmm. of Ben Affleck's personal life and, you know, yes, where, where, he, where he took the nanny yeah. and when and all of this, but but that's more of the, the Hollywood side of things. It's hard to think if, if there's an artistic, like a public artistic figure who would get the same sort of lifestyle attention now. I just, I really don't think that they would get that same scrutiny in today's environment and obviously people's attitudes about divorce and the laws about divorce are so different. Mm -hmm. um, I think the one thing that would be a sticking point is the walking away from the children. Yes. Um, e but even that is less of, of a stricture than it was 100 yeah. and years ago. And with a ago. lot of household help, 
mm-hmm. and relatives nearby. The children were treated okay. They just weren't with their parents. Well, it seems like the father, Edwin Cheney, actually Paul. was a more hands-on yes, parent was. than most fathers were at that time. And he was also rather broad-minded that he was letting the children go see their mother when she was with Frank Lloyd Wright. That Poor surprised Edwin. me. Yeah. Oh, Edwin at the end. Yes. Going Those, up to Taliesin. Oh, oh that was something. Just break your heart. Yes. That's it's almost an unbelievable telling, thing, isn't it? Telling what him. really happened. <laughs> it's it's terrible, terrible. I think that Catherine was a very big figure in this. She's not featured, but she's always there. And but yeah, I think you're right. Role. But it, it's funny, she's in the background, but she exerts so much mm-hmm. control. Yes. But it's a very passive-aggressive kind um, of assertion of control. Oh, um, yes. I, I, I don't have a feel for her personality except that she positioned herself as the wronged woman and, and tried to use that. And that was the role that she played. Yeah. I know, do you know people like this? I know one. You know, the man has been with his mistress, essentially, for about 30 years. She will not give him a divorce. So they can't get married. In this day and age, he can't divorce her? In England, I don't know. Oh, this is England. Okay. I don't well, know, probably. They but can. I don't know there yeah. or here. Yeah. But it's a it's an exertion of power. It would be interesting to read a story from Catherine's point of view, though, because we yes. see Catherine as Mima would have, mm-hmm. and you know maybe maybe Catherine has an equally compelling story. She was married very young. Seventeen. Right? Yes, seventeen. And I mean, she does seem sort of insufferable. She probably wouldn't be nearly as interesting as Mema, but. But, you know, she probably put up with a lot of garbage from Frank, too. Mm-hmm. Well, Mema recognized that, remember? when the, Remember when the furniture came? All that expensive furniture yes. and all that stuff? Ooh. And she blew up. Mm-hmm. Mema blew up at Frank and made him get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But then she also talked to Taylor Woolley, I think that was his name, the Mormon um, architectural student from, from Utah. And he told her that, he, that Frank didn't pay his debts, blah, 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 blah. And so Mamie started understanding that one of the reasons Catherine wouldn't divorce Frank was she would never get any money from him That's at right. all because he owed so much money and he was a spendthrift, right. you know. And so she did have, a, there was a, a moment of insight into Catherine's position. Mm-hmm. Um, the honeymoon was over for Mamie and Frank at yeah. that point too. <laughs> yeah. You know, she had that flash of insight and... Uh, could, she could understand Catherine's well, life. Well, she got new information. Right. She didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The yeah. role of money in both of these books was really interesting. You know, we we look back on these two men as great artists, but I think it's easy to forget how much artists have to struggle. And, uh, you know, both Robert Louis Stevenson and Frank Lloyd Wright just worried and worried and worried about money and how they were going to make it and and... You know, trying to kind of take it, uh, use some family resources, mm. but then having pride and not wanting to do that yeah. all along. I thought that w- that was also an interesting connection between the books. 
But, but Robert Louis Stevenson was a more honest person. He really was. And Frank, and I have read some other bios of Frank too. He, he had um, people that he could rely on to, you know, to throw him some quick money when he needed it. And okay. because they admired his talent, they admired his accomplishments and so forth, that sort of were patrons, patrons, you know, or you know, forgiving patrons, I guess you might say. But you know, it's something interesting uh, to me is that we have been talking about loving Frank to the max, and it so it seems like that made a bigger impression on us. It, it did me mm -hmm. than than our, the Robert Louis Stevenson's. Uh, well, the Fanny and Lo Robert Louis Stevenson story. If you had a friend who was going to attend the modern novel lecture at the Mercantile Library on September 29th with Nancy Horan, um, and your friend only had time to read one of the two books, which one would you recommend and why? That's a great question. Joanne is pointing at Loving Frank. Yeah. Why, Joanne? Because this book is, like I said in my first comment, it's not well edited, it's too long, there's a lot of stuff in it that doesn't move you forward, it's sloppy in the, in the back, and uh, I don't think it does her credit. This is a much better book. So you think Loving Frank is a much better book? Yes. I read a couple of the reviews on the internet, you know, mm -hmm. and it's really interesting how people go between these two books. And they give you know exact reasons why they love loving Frank and th why they love Under the White and Starry Sky. Under the White and Starry Sky is much better, and or loving Frank is much better. And yeah. so you know, I, and I thought another thing that was interesting about both of these books, but somebody made one of the reviewers, and I think it might have been a newspaper reviewer, made this snide comment that these were books for book clubs. <laughs> Did you read that too, Cynthia? Mm -hmm, I did. <laughs> and I thought, well, there we go. We've Translate been put in our place. <laughs> women. Mm -hmm. Yes, I thought that too. Soap opera. Mm, mm, yeah. But we have. Just keep putting us down. <laughs> I mean, here she is. How, how much should the people surrounding him suffer for the great work, him, both of either one of them, suffer for the great work? I mean, these women, that was my, my one note, and I thought of that through both of them. There was a fellow in our book discussion about Under the Wide and Starry yeah. Sky who, you know, started going off on Fanny, what a despicable creature she was. Yes, yes he did. You yeah. remember that? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I remember too, yeah. yeah. And then when I read some of those reviews, I thought the same thing. I think that you were saying, that you were saying, and that is that there's a different perspective if you're a woman reading these books versus yeah. if you're a man reading these books. Because I think it's easier for the men to identify with Robert and Frank, mm -hmm. you know, being out in the world, as you said, and they're, you know, highly, you know, striving, or maybe Cynthia, you said it, they're really working hard to accomplish something and, and, and lots of struggles. And so the behind the scenes struggle of these two women mm -hmm. might not be as important. And I think that fellow said, well, I wish Fanny was left out of this story. We could have just concentrated on Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah, and I wanted to say, missing the whole point of the book. every other book that's always been written, right? <laughs> right, I mean, right. the reason, the yeah. thing that Nancy Horan and some of the other recent historical fiction writers have been doing is telling the other side of the story. And one, the Washington Post review of Under the Wide and Starry Sky did mention that it, you know, Loving Frank kind of kicked off 
a, um, yeah, a series of books by various authors, you know, that, that, um, oh. that were writing about the wife, like the, the Paris wife, oh, that kind of explained the other, the other side. Mm -hmm. She had several examples. The Aviator's Wife, which is about Anne Marl Lindbergh, mm -hmm. and The Paris Wife, which is about Hadley, Richardson Hemingway, and Above All Things, which was about Ruth Mallory. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting. One thing that I'm interested in is what Haran's next project is. Yes. Because although these books are very different, they do share that, you know, that similar concept mm -hmm. of exploring the life of the woman who was paired with the famous artist. And so I, I would I really enjoyed reading both of these books, but I would like to read something a little bit different that uses kind of maybe like a different set of her, her skills. Um, oh heck. I, I'd be happy if she picked another, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're Anthony a, and Cleopatra. I don't know. Yes, I guess I, guess I shouldn't be selfish. Yeah, let her, I, let her you, do what she what you, Whatever it is, but that's a good question mm -hmm. to ask her. Yeah. Sophia, which book would you recommend to a friend? Uh, between the two of these, that's a really hard one. I, I was glad I read both of them. I think Under the Wide and Starry Sky is a little more. soap opera-ish in a way because she's putting so many details in it that you feel like you're just going to um, the serial nature of the daily soap opera that okay the next scene this happens and then this happens and, it, and it's like there's not a lot of learning Exactly. Uh, an emotional growth they're repeating everything over and over again just in a different physical venue um, it was fascinating but I, I, I loving Frank struck me more emotionally um, I really walked away feeling terrible for Mama uh, obviously because of the tragedy that happens at the end but also just that she was a very intelligent person, educated person. She had uh, obviously some writing skills and some great language skills. And in a modern society, she could have done a lot of things. Not, not that Fanny couldn't either if, if they were both uh, alive in today. So I don't know. It, it's a hard thing. I think Loving Frank was a better written book. I would agree with all the reviewers that Under the Wide and Starry Sky really needed a good editor. And it could have lost maybe a third of it. Because I think she's telling us too many details that are aren't critical to the storyline. Well, that's one question that I have about historical fiction: How obligated are the authors to to stick closely to the timeline, the actual historical timeline of these folks' lives? Because I think it did feel like three quarters of the way through Under the Wide and Starry Sky, it felt kind of bogged down, do I need to know that they went to Monterey, or do, you know, mm -hmm. that he was sick in this particular place, right. it felt like maybe um, the, the pace would have felt more consistent or a little brisker at that point in the book if some of that had been trimmed, but it would be, it's, it, that would be another interesting thing to ask her. After yeah. she's done all of this research, does she feel justified in cutting a, a you know, a year-long period of their life well, she can, it, well, she said in an interview that in the back of uh, one of these books here that um, that she felt she had an obligation to follow the facts. Okay. 
And since she had, she owed that to her characters, to these real people, because they were real. They were real people. They were not inventions. But um, so I, I think that she, because she did have so many more facts about Robert, you know, there was a lot more literature available um, for both Fanny and Robert Louis Stevenson that she got bogged down. And it's like, I'm going to put this in because I know it, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to prove my case uh, over and over and over and over again. Well, go ahead. We heard that she spent seven years researching and writing this. Yeah, okay. We heard that. Um, and I think she's got very fond, focused in on that, and very fond of everything she had found. It's very hard to say, this could be another book. Right. Or something else. Or an article. You know, she didn't have to put everything in the kitchen sink. Right. I don't care that the mother-in-law went back or right. the, you know these different things are going on. I don't right. care what? I don't care what do I care where these people are right now? Well, and I think that's a, one of the things that's really struck me afterwards is what story was she really trying to Good. tell? That's the question. With that book. And and I think partway through she kind of changed her mind and you can see it. Nancy, if you're listening, we love you. <laughs> One thing that I really did enjoy about Under the White and Starry Sky was that it made me want to take another look at Robert Louis Stevenson's works. Mm -hmm. It made me want to go back and read Treasure Island again and some of the other works, even the writings that he did from the South Pacific. And Joanne memorized years ago the actual poem that um, inspired the the novel's title, and I was hoping that she would recite it for us no as, problem. We, as we near the end of our podcast. Well, I learned this when I was a child, and the child's garden of verses are somewhere. I don't remember, but in school, I think we learned it. Under the wide and starry sky, dig the grave and let me lie. Glad did I live and gladly die, and I laid me down with a will. And this be the verse you grave for me. Here he lies, where he longed to be. Home is the sailor, home from the sea, and the hunter, home from the hill. Thank you. That's just great. Is that is that actually inscribed on his grave too? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. In yes. Samoa, in Vanuatu, or wherever it was where he's. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I wanted to, before we wrap up, um, just ask you what you're reading now. If you're reading anything that's really interesting now or anything that you would recommend, um, have you read anything recently that you really want to encourage other uh, library members to pick up? In the category of fiction? Oh, in the category of anything that's interesting anything? to you right now. Do you want to hear from me? <laughs> yes, sure, go ahead, Joanne. I'm a gardener, I'm a master gardener, and I have recently picked up on something which I knew about for a long time. I know about the plant hunters. After the Pleistocene glacier came down over our continent and wiped out all the plant materials and all the animals, um, and they so on became fossils and so on, we became aware that there were a lot of beautiful flowers and trees and plants in other countries. And there were some people here who eventually made the connection that they did exist here because they saw fossils that described them. And where were they? They were, they could be found in China. So I recently started reading the books and the travels of an amazing man whose name was Ernest H. Wilson, known as Chinese Wilson. 
who took seven trips to northwest China. Northwest China is uninhabited. It's just long mountain ranges. You have to go up over and then come down and up over and come down and so on. And he, he had about 20 Chinese who went with him. And they went with him each time. Every time he went back to China, he worked for the Arnold Arboretum outside Boston. Uh, he was an Englishman born in Chipping Hamden, however, educated in England. It, it's an incredible book. He writes as if nobody knows any of this, I'm going to tell you. And so I've read about four books, and I've just got two more. And I had to get one by interlibrary loan. He, it is just amazing. Well, I can tell you what I'm going to be reading, what I've chosen. <laughs> and then I can tell you that, I, well, I have just finished The Road to Character by uh, the Niehoff lecturer coming in. And it's a very interesting book. And I'm sure that um, when you have the book group on that in October, that there will be lots of back and forth. People will say, I like this part, I don't like that part, and all that. Because I've already had some discussions with some women about that particular book, and men too, of course. But I'm, I'm going to read um, a book that I read about recently, and they have it here at the Mercantile, by, and I hope I pronounce this right. It's by Carl Uwe Nosgaard. Nosgaard? Nosgaard? And, and this is the first book, and there's, it's a whole series, and it's called My Struggle. So it's My Struggle 1, My Struggle 2, My Struggle 3, and 4, and I don't know if 5 is coming or not. So I'm starting out with 1 because it sounds quite interesting to me. It's about him and mm. his dilemmas and his struggles. And uh, he's received a lot of praise for this. And at the same time, I'm actually starting a book called Ooh, Can you oh, believe it? Yeah, and it's just by accident. And it's uh, about a very cranky man. And I hate to say this, but apparently it's very popular with book groups around the country. Oh, right God. <laughs> the women again. So, yes, those <laughs> darn women. She's funny. But it was recommended to me by uh, a friend of mine, Betsy Schramm, from the bookshelf in Madeira. So that's what I'm headed for, except that I'm also reading at the same time a book on Native Alaskans um, that I found in Alaska this summer. And uh, I was fascinated by uh, the Native Alaskan cultures, the various cultures. And so this is sort of like a textbook, but not really. It's more interesting than just purely a textbook. That's nothing, it. Nothing wrong with textbooks. That's what I'm reading, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like everybody's very eclectic in their reading, as am I. And um, I'm not reading anything quite as um, deep as that, but I'm reading a the newest book by Peter Robinson, which is called In, In the Dark Place. And he uh, is a great mystery writer. And uh, the series is uh, about a fellow named uh, uh, Inspector Banks. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're very dark. It goes along with the title. Um, but uh, a lot, there's a lot of character development uh, with the main character throughout that series. The other thing I'm about to start, though, is called The Quartet. It's by Joseph Ellis, and um, it, it's a nonfiction work, and it's focused on the development of the Constitution and uh, specifically several of the men who wrote the Federalist Papers and how they contributed to the creation of the Constitution and the, the real sense of having a strong central government. Um, and so I'm really looking forward uh, to starting that one. 
great recommendations. What are you reading? I'm reading Purity, the new novel by Jonathan Franzen. It was mm. just released mm. last week or the week before, and I'm enjoying that. I would love to discuss that sometime soon with, with some other folks. Um, I'm also working on uh, The Road to Character by David Brooks mm -hmm. that Carolyn just finished. Um, David Brooks is coming to Cincinnati for our Niehoff lecture later this fall, and we're having a First Wednesday book discussion mm -hmm. about that book uh, October 7th. October. So, so I'm, I've been working on that and really, really enjoying that. So I like to have one fiction book and one nonfiction book going at, at all times. So I'm, I'm right in my sweet spot right now. Thank you so much for joining us for the 12th story today. We look forward to seeing you again sometime soon.